Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And uh, right up front, let me apologize for my voice. Um, he had some sinus things going on and probably some allergies, so um, my voice is not quite normal and I'm a little stuffed up, but we're going to get through this because, you know, if I, even if I took the daytime Sudafed, it would probably... It might be an entertaining uh, podcast, but it certainly wouldn't be one that, that I'd probably even remember afterwards. So, apologize ahead of time for the voice. And as always, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can leave them in Podbean in the comments section, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. So... You can send anything there, and uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it like at the very next podcast. And uh, most of the time, I will actually even uh, uh, send you a direct reply. So there you go. And let's just get right into it. Um, of course, you know, with the, the communists and demagogues and everything else that are in Washington are still pushing for some sort of gun control, even though they just um, got a bit of a sellout and and, um, got their latest bill across. Um, You know, and that's been analyzed to death. I don't really want to talk about that. But of course, there are other things to talk about. And one of them is, hey, according to him, no no amendment is absolute. you actually do have an absolute right to free speech vis-a-vis the government. They can't suppress your right to to speech. You cannot uh, um, say that, uh, you know, the 13th Amendment, the one that outlawed slavery is, well, no amendment is absolute, so therefore, you know, in certain counties we could have slaves, you know. You can't say that. That is an absolute amendment. you can't deny women the right to vote. The 19th Amendment. Can't do that. Women have a right to vote. 19th Amendment. There you go. Uh, you cannot refuse to pay taxes because the 16th Amendment, which authorized income tax, you can't say, well, that's not absolute, so therefore I don't have to pay it. If everybody else pays it, I don't have to because it's not absolute. So, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous argument that that basically a crazy old man is being fed and you know if you think biden is in control of his faculties or even what he says just watch his speeches sometimes he reads the notes on the teleprompter that aren't supposed to be read you saw the note card you know that was in the deal where hey you sit down you you enter the room you sit down you greet the press you know i mean a real person doesn't need those kind of instructions i realize they may have something of hey after you get into the room and sit down greet the press and single out so and so you know they might have a reminder like that but definitely not what you're seeing there what you're seeing is a program man and i told you months ago to watch the old Star Trek program Uh, the episode was Patterns of Force where they have a leader who's basically they go to a planet and they find this leader and he's emulating Nazis and he's being manipulated and basically told everything to speak and and all that and that's what we have in the White House we have somebody who's just a 
you know, he's just parroting some party line that's that's out there. Then you have the rest of the Biden family, you know. Um, you know, we're supposed to believe that somehow these people have earned the trust of the American people and more people voted for Joe Biden than anybody else ever in history. We know it's a lie. And if you think that the 2020 election was fair, uh, you're crazy. I mean, you just, you're plumb crazy. Um, I just, that's just all it is. I mean, you, you can, you can argue it, but you know, we've laid it all out before, you know, it's, you know, it's rigged when, you know, just the pattern of abuse that the government started in 2015 against Donald Trump um, is, is horrific and it's horrendous. The rot in the FBI and everywhere else. So you, you have to look at the Biden family failures. And, you know, we have Dr. Jill Biden, the fake doctor, the one who just called Hispanic people breakfast burritos, said, yeah, you know, I mean, basically pointing out that the zenith of their culture is breakfast burritos. Um, I think people who listen to that will be justly offended. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, his support in every demographic group is just falling off the table. And so, you know, it's horrible. He is a horrible president. And, you know, where's this all going to wind up? I mean, I think people, we haven't even seen the explosion of nastiness that's going to come out with, apparently Hunter Biden has left other laptops around and they have some very, very interesting things on them. And some of those things involve, like, allegedly weighing crack and the the sexual romps with prostitutes and you know all those other things that, that uh, um, Hunter Biden does when he's not getting all the graft and corruption money and the influence peddling money uh, so we, we have all that yeah the creep who yeah he was he, romantically involved with his brother's widow Ooh. Is, is, I mean, is, this there, is there any part of this family that's just not creepy? And so the question you have to ask is, where does this all wind up? Well, again, they, they do their best. The media is so corrupt. They do their best to sweep all this garbage under the rug. And if Biden were essentially like Obama with a, you know, 60% approval rating and all that, this wouldn't even be mentioned, wouldn't be anything. But Biden is under half that. And uh, even propping him up with fakey polls, they can't get him above 31 or 32 percent, you know. So even 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 with the fake padding that I'm, that I'm sure they put in there, um, they just can't they can't do it, you know. Um, it's amazing to me that you know that all of a sudden now the Democrats are coming out going, well, we don't know if Joe's really going to be our guy in 2024. And let me tell you how this is going to work. Here's here's the way I see it. Okay, I think in if they take the bloodbath in 2022 that we believe they will, and that is they will lose the Senate and they will lose the House of Representatives, perhaps by historic margins, but perhaps not, but perhaps very convincing margins anyway. Now that all gets basically hung on Biden. Uh, the other thing that's going to get hung on Biden is look at look at how decrepit and absolutely, you know, 
horrible the guy's been, and it's only been a year and a half. They're not going to put up with another two and a half years of this. Um, it's just not going to happen. They know he's not going to last. So I think after the midterms, one of three things, well, there's one of four things that could happen. Number one is he could just say, and I think there's very low probability of this, low, low, low probability. One is he just says, hey, you know what? This isn't working out so well. I'm going to resign. You know, I'm going to resign. Harris is going to be president. And, you know, it's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. Goodbye. I don't think that will happen, but it's a possibility. Another possibility is, you know, the flags will be at half mast for 30 days because Joe goes in his sleep. You know, I mean, hey, he's in the age and he looks to be pretty infirm, actually. Um, you know, he just naturally goes. That could happen also. Uh, the next thing that could happen is the people around him basically get so angry with the fact, with the result of the 2022, uh, the 2022 election, that basically they 25th Amendment him out. That's a little more possible, I think. And then the other one is he's essentially impeached. Um, how could you say, well, what crime has he committed? How could he be impeached? Well, he could be impeached for the statements he's made about the Supreme Court for encourage, essentially encouraging people to, to harass them at their homes after they did the Roe v. Wade thing and all this. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of things that he could be impeached for. And that's... Um, and that's basically, you know, tying in Hunter's influence peddling would be the uh, icing on the cake. So, you know, he, he may get it from that. So one of those things will happen. My prediction is Joe Biden does not do four years as president. And the, you see they're trying to rehabilitate Harris. And I mentioned this last time. They're trying to rehabilitate Harris so she can she can take over and have all the incumbent advantages, um, whether she runs regardless of who her opponent is in 2024. So the Biden family failures, you know, I mean, that's, you know, we it's literally, and I think almost, even if Democrats were honest, which they're not, but if they were, they have to admit this is the worst president we've ever had. Absolutely. with, And I mean, by a long shot, everything he touches, he, he's like uh He's like King Midas in reverse. Everything he touches turns to crap. Not gold, but crap. And uh, he's seriously weakened the country. He's taken away. I mean, the face of the, the rate of inflation over the last year is, is almost 10%. That's, you're poorer. You and I are poorer by 10% because of the policies of Joe Biden. And they're policies that basically don't hurt him. Number one, because he's rich. And number two, because he doesn't really pay for anything. So, you know, we as taxpayers pay for everything. And, and of course, this goes down with the, the whole gun control thing. Uh, they, they don't want to admit what the problem is. The problem is we have misfits, absolute misfits, in our midst. And we have people who don't fit in. And these people are young people. And there's not a lot of them, but there's enough that it's creating a problem. And they're going around and they're doing bad things.
they're doing bad things because you know they're the little dweebs in school they're at the bottom of the social pecking order it's either their fault or they're not their fault you can you know you can go into all of that but they basically have no place in society like this little punk who shot up the fourth of july parade you know he's a rapper he's 18 years old and he has tattoos on his face he's a scrawny little worm you know um i'm sure that he was at the very bottom of any social hierarchy that was in his school any social architecture in his school he is at the bottom of he is continually on the outs and he's angry because you know like most kids every kid kind of wants to be boys anyway you know they kind of want to be the quarterback they kind of want to be dating the cheerleader they want to be the big man on campus those are all kind of ideals that are out there and and very few people actually become that most people you know fall somewhere underneath that where they have modest or moderate success and that, that's the way it goes but why did why are these why are there more of these misfit kids and i will tell you the reason the reason is is because our leftists the communists the anarchists who are destroying our society or attempting to have attacked one institution after another uh, take the boy scouts 10 years ago 12 years ago 20 years ago 30 40 and especially you start going way back hey boy scouts was a very popular program and a, most kids were in it and when kids are in a structured social program like that they learn how to interact better with people uh, they get accepted by the group a little bit better there's all kinds of benefits to being a part of that it helps normalize them and bring them into society it, it gives them a segue to for success in society now there are always going to be some kids that just you know can't do that but that's that's it uh, another thing was 4-h um, 4-H clubs would do that and that was mostly a rural thing and in big cities there were the police explorers and there's all kinds there was a lot of a lot more athletics and you know there's a lot of things that that could be done but instead the leftists have destroyed the Boy Scouts are destroyed uh, 4-H is running running from PETA you know I mean this it's it's psychotic stuff like that um other all these other things are either dissolved or they're so marginalized that kids don't don't uh, you know participate when I, when I was a kid and of course this was a different time but when i was a kid you could go out and play in a pickup softball game and it was it was pretty cool it was really good there were you know you could just go out you take your glove your bat your ball and you find a couple other kids you just start playing softball you know uh, can't do that anymore can't do that because there's so many weirdos and misfits and criminals illegals that have slipped across the border on all kinds of other things that are out there can't do that anymore and we don't have a police departments that go after that and ensure public safety like they used to they'll react but it used to be that hey they would they would be around and if they saw somebody getting hassled or they saw a problem they were in the middle of it and they fixed it but we don't have any of that anymore we don't have social support for these young kids we've got a bunch of kids who their teachers don't really care about them you know hey it's just get rid of them 
and we have schools that have no rules have no anything so some of these kids are just allowed to go off the deep end and that's where they are and then we're surprised when they do something completely antisocial so we don't have all the things that we need to kind of help young men support parents we also have two parents now that have to work because of the way the economy is and the way it's becoming and a recession is coming it's going to get worse um you know two parents have to work hey they don't it's not like you know dad goes off to work and and mom is kind of keeping track of the kids and kind of tracking any problems that are going on it's not happening like it used to and then you put onto that single parent homes where of course the adult has to work and then come home and and you know handle all this stuff so it's a real challenge and we've got to have we got to have some healthy constructs in our society and that's and, and until that happens we're still going to have these misfits and no gun law is going to stop them no gun law is going to stop them from doing bad things why are they doing this and, and social media is not helping none of this stuff helps and of course coward police departments like Uvalde and the one at Park that dude at Parkland I mean that is actually they, they should be brought up on charges and they and if they find out that they were they had the stuff and you know 77 minutes and nobody did a breach nobody went in there I mean what is that other than cowardice that's not just bad judgment that's cowardice the people who are responsible for that need to go to jail they need a life sentence in jail that's what they need but enough of that um, you know one of the things that's interesting is I don't have a large extended family but you know I, I've discovered relatives and things here and there and um, so I have a, a fairly distant cousin and of course he's actually pretty pretty reasonable in most of his political opinions but he's not a gun guy and so he he and I got into this discussion about well why do we why do people need these military grade weapons and of course I I basically asked him well what do you mean by military grade and he goes well you know the and he had been in the he'd been in the service you know the Navy so he didn't have a lot of small arms acumen but he knows what a 45 automatic is he knows he knows what a uh, uh, an M16 is and he goes yeah some of these things are they look just like M16s they're, they're M16s why do people need those why do people have those why are those out on the street and what I told him was well there's no such thing as a military grade weapon in civilian hands and he goes no wait a minute what are you what are you talking about and I go I go the AR-15s I have uh, look like M16s they do but they're not and and here's how they're different first of all if you took any of my ARs and let's just say I, I had the old school guns gun company and I, I basically have one of my one of my ARs my SP1 which looks you know somewhat like an M16 the original M16 and I went to a foreign government and said hey I can make you these for five hundred dollars a piece I, I got I give me an order for fifteen thousand and uh, 
500 bucks a piece, they're yours. Delivery included. They'd laugh in my face. Now, why would they laugh in my face? Because the weapon I'm offering them is not modern. It does not have the features that are desirable in a military weapon. And it hasn't been through the inspection process that they would expect. There's no, the quality control for a civilian weapon is much more lax than it is for a military weapon. So I, I would sit there and hear the features it does not have. It does not have select fire. It does not have a guarantee of all mil spec parts in it. You know, I mean, face it, they, most of them probably are, but there's no guarantee that there are. There's been no testing of that particular rifle as there was the M16A1. So there's no, they, they wouldn't trust it. It's not military grade. Now you'd say, well, it's also an old design too. No, no country would buy an M16A1. True, that's yet another reason why it is not military grade. It is obsolete to their use. Uh, M16A2 would be the, the same thing. And even M4s would be the same thing. They just don't have the features that a modern army would would want. Um, the the semi-automatic only guns do not have the right feature. And you, you have no idea of the quality of the parts you're getting. They're not going to buy them. They're not going to use them. They're not going to buy them. So I would say that there's very few, if any, military-grade weapons in civilian hands. Now, military-grade is also something that, as we've just demonstrated, changes. In 1873, the Colt's single-action army revolver was military-grade. It is no longer. I mean, if it was, countries would be buying them from you, Bertie, and they would be arming people with them. They're not. That's the whole reason we were laughing at the Keltec Sub-2000 um, for the Ukraine. It's, it's not a military-grade weapon. It has no testing which would support the uh, construction, the materials, it's not select fire, and we don't even know how it would hold up in that environment. My guess is not very well, but that's just me. Uh, there are very few guns. You, you could say, well, maybe a Glock is military grade because some countries have adopted Glocks. And I would say, well, they did that, but they didn't adopt it. They adopted a civilian grade weapon. They did not adopt a military grade weapon. It was a civilian weapon first. Same thing with the SIG 320, the uh, US M17, M18. It was essentially, same thing with the Beretta M9. It was essentially a civilian weapon first. So that doesn't count. That That's a civilian weapon that they just decided to use. And frankly, it doesn't work out so well sometimes. Um, it just doesn't work out that well. You take 1911A1s, the same ones you know, the, the 1911A1, the USGI 1911A1. Um, there are companies that make them, and I'm not talking about the modern ones with nice adjustable sights and all these kind of... I'm not talking about the Wilson Combat or Kimber or even the current Colt offerings. I'm talking about there's... Well, there's Auto Ordnance. They make a 1911A1. Tesis in Turkey makes a 1911A1. Arms Corps, the guy who make all the Rock Island guns, they make a 1911A1. Um, no country is buying those. No military really uses them or buys them. And they're selling them, they're selling that particular model to a nostalgia market of, uh, of civilian buyers. 
you buy a 1911A1 replica or clone or newly made gun because you want one that looks like it came out of World War II. And in fact, even the U.S. government recognizes the 1911A1 is not military grade or has no real military use because they're selling off the few they kept after the end of the Cold War they were in stocks they're selling those through the CMP so they have no military value there's no military relevance there and it's the same thing with the uh, AR-15 it was never intended to be a military weapon as a semi-automatic gun that was sold to civilians uh, the select fire ones that went through all the inspecting and everything else that's a different matter but there is no military grade weapon that's in civilian hands you could say well what about the barrett 50 cal well the barrett 50 cal is i think that's on its way out anyway but, but it was another civilian weapon that was adopted by the military it already existed for for years for probably 10 or 15 years before the military actually adopted it and so again that's another civilian weapon that is they just decided to use there it never started out as a military grade weapon so that's those are just some things you can say to somebody when they use this new term military grade it's a made-up term just like assault weapon you could actually argue very strongly that at one time or another almost every rifle was military grade everything from the brown bess to the winchester model 95 to the 1903 springfield and certainly the M1 Garand, which was a, you know, a great weapon in World War II, but no army would buy them today. No army wants them. They're, as a matter of fact, they're giving them back. The ones they borrowed from us, they're giving back. And that's where the CMP rifles are now coming from. So that is military grade in a nutshell. And, and do with that what you will. But um, yeah, it's just another, it's just another, uh, ridiculous argument they try to lure us into so that's it okay we are now going to you know i've got a couple of a lot of questions and answers that are probably going to be longer uh just kind of giving them a cursory look so anyway we're going to start questions and answers and kind of go from there so the first question is what is the biggest gun buying mistake for new shooters and uh I'd like to think I'd made every gun buying mistake I could, but, uh, you know, in, in kind of in, in retrospect, looking at this, the biggest mistakes a new shooter makes is, well, there's several. And the first one I would say is they don't have a definite purpose for the gun and they don't know consequently which one to buy because they don't have a purpose and I will tell you that um, here's my here's my example first gun I ever bought for some reason I wanted a revolver now this is back in the the heyday of revolvers so this was a while ago and I wanted the most capable revolver I could get and somehow I wound up with a Dan Wesson 357 Magnum with an 8 inch barrel as a brand new shooter now I had shot in handguns I had shot handguns before um, 
I was able to use my my father had a Ruger Blackhawk four and five eighths, and I knew I didn't want to barrel that short, and I knew I didn't want a single action because I I didn't really care for them, and I still really don't for the most part. So I I knew I didn't want that gun, and I wanted a longer barrel. I did know understand about sight radius a little bit, so I went and I got one with a barrel too long, and I got it in 357, which was notionally the best handgun caliber at the time. Because after all, you know, it would crack the block of a car a block away, and it was deadly accurate, and you could use 38 special and, you know, shoot shoot super accurate targets. None of those things were true. And found out that way the hard way. I also found out that an 8-inch barrel for a beginner is a difficult gun to master. Uh, I found out that it was not as accurate with 38 special ammunition as it would have been which was a you know which was a big deal you know because that's almost all what I shot through it the gun I needed to buy because I wanted to become a good handgun shot would have been a Smith & Wesson model 14 with a six inch barrel and a few years later I bought one of those and corrected the mistake and the um, the uh, Dan Wesson got traded away for something else but that's the first mistake people make is they don't know exactly what they want to do or if even if they have a good idea they don't know which is the best tool to get that and they also listen to bad advice the other mistake new gun owners make or, or potential gun buyers however you want to put this is they do a lot of research and they talk themselves into something without really understanding the ramifications and I will tell you this uh, my stepson was nine years old and he was very bright he was very very bright and he still is but at that time you know he was a very very bright student he decided he wanted to and this was before his mother and I were married uh, he decided that he wanted a rifle and he did the research he was, he was very studious did the research and he did a lot of reading and and he did uh, you know the internet searches and and all this stuff and he decided that he wanted because of its ballistic properties and because of the compare very favorable comparison it had with other cartridges basically you know beating them out performance wise he wanted a Remington 7mm Magnum um, now what he didn't understand being a being a boy was you know that 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 is a rifle that would kick him into the middle of next week and he also didn't really understand what he wanted that rifle for but he 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 was able to research and understand that everybody was telling him through this through the readings he was doing that this was the best rifle going this was the most advantageous cartridge they did not list the debits of the cartridge they did not list the the problems of hunting rifles versus you know the use of a hunting rifle versus use of a target rifle and, and ranges none, none of that but they but you know through his research he was sold on that one thing now when he started shooting a year or two later he realized when I told him hey this this 410 gauge is pretty uh, pretty mellow compared to the uh, um, seven millimeter magnum then he started to get it when he understood recoil and when he started to shoot other types of of guns he kind of understood the difference that, he, that 
they had specific purposes and that uh, uh, the seven millimeter magnum is not the the uh, uh, big <laughs> um, you know problem solver that he thought it was and in fact it was a very specific rifle for a very specific type of of hunting which is you know big game usually in western states where you might be shooting it at a bit longer ranges and you might be shooting at larger animals and thus need uh, thus need that power so that is a lot of what what they do the third thing that happens to new shooters is they get horrifically bad advice uh, the horrifically bad advice is uh, and it runs a gamut um, you know I saw a woman one time she, she actually had arthritic arthritic hands and they were trying to sell her a J-frame 357 Magnum you know and I'm like oh my god what are you gonna do to this poor woman you know this this is wrong and um, you know they gun shops will try to sell you what they have or what the uh, usually uh, overweight slug behind the counter is is trying to talk you into because after all he's an expert and um, you know it's ridiculous so and there are you know there's the loud mouths all these kind of people who can give them very bad advice when it comes to a new shooter especially someone who's new to guns never shot it before shooting as many as possible is the best possible thing and uh, then they can kind of understand what they like maybe what they don't like they'll have some preferences and at least that'll give them a base of knowledge to go there so that's what I think uh, the biggest gun buying mistakes for new shooters is uh, the worst one I've ever seen was a guy who um, I think he was a security working as a security guard he's a he's a tall black guy who you know it was was fairly fit and everything so he was you know he was younger in his in his 20s and you know by working his job he'd saved up some money for guns and he bought what he thought were the two coolest guns that he could buy and one of them was a 50 caliber desert eagle and the other was a 44 desert eagle and um, he had never really had much firearm experience before and of course that was just a disaster you know it's an absolute disaster um you know and again had someone taken their time because this was a nice guy had someone taken the time and explained to him and and maybe taken him shooting or, or introduced him to it they could have saved him a lot of money and a whole lot of heartburn but uh, yeah as it was as it was that's a that's a pretty rough way to get into the sport and those are kind of guns that are going to get traded off and sold um, you know it takes years and some very specific um, mission needs to have either of those two guns so um, you know the chance of the chance of just if I just keep shooting them enough I'll get great with them it just really isn't gonna happen and it's gonna cost a whole lot again another guy who probably would have been much better served with either a 22 long rifle um, handgun to start with or a 38 you know to the 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 old model 14 which was very accurate relatively lightweight relatively light recoiling um, that would have been a much better much better uh, option okay here's another one now this one I hadn't really thought about 
What is the most overrated piece of World War II equipment? And I, you know what? And I know the answer to this. I know the answer to this. When, and the key is overrated. The most overrated piece of World War II equipment, and it pains me to say this because I am a 25-year Jeep Wrangler owner, but the World War II Jeep was the most overrated um, piece of equipment that we had. And it, it got an iconic status. I mean, the World War II made the Jeep. I mean, it came out as a military vehicle right before the war. And by the end of the war, they were all over the place and everybody wanted one. So you could say, well, how could it be a failure if everybody wanted one? And I, I would say that what it was designed to be was, and what it really is, even today, even my Wrangler has got some of these traits. Um, it, it was designed to be a, a an inexpensive utility vehicle that you know you, hey, you could drive around on bases you could drive around in the rear area nowhere near should never any be anywhere near the front line and it was semi disposable I mean uh, hey if they were so easy to make that if one got trashed hey you just abandoned it you know you didn't even bother to repair it you just you just kind of scrapped it and and went on because the ships were unloading these things by the scads and so you, you sit there and you say well first of all you could ask me how do I know this well I was in the service when we had the last descendant of the World War II Jeep which was the M151 Mutt they called it and again it's this chintzy uh, it, it had some differences to the World War II Jeep the styling was a little different it had unibody construction but it had a very similar weak four-cylinder engine uh, had the same ground clearance it had really a bunch of these same problems that um, the World War II Jeep had it gets stuck a lot doesn't really have very they said it had great cross-country mobility that's that's horse manure uh, it did not uh, you couldn't really mount any reasonable weapons on them um, you know the, the the big but it achieved an icon status because uh you know the rat patrol came out in the 60s and, and everybody thought world war ii jeeps are cool man look at they, they're jumping over these dunes i actually saw the the real jeeps the actual jeeps they used in the rat patrol and uh of course they didn't have the crappy little four-cylinder engines they had 289 ford v8s had been dropped in their little small block ford and a matching transmission so those things would those things would hop all around and in fact uh that's how one of the stars of the show they actually wrecked one and uh, christopher george he he damaged his heart and it later killed him a few years later um you know they were always dangerous the short wheelbase the lightweight there's no collision protection um, they were always very dangerous. They're frail vehicles. You couldn't really airdrop them and have, you know, a high survival rate of these things. So you couldn't airdrop it. You, it. The more stuff you tried to put on it, it wasn't adaptable. The more stuff you tried to put on it, the worse the performance was. And I mean, it had a, you know, what was it, a 10-gallon gas tank that the driver was sitting on. It was right under the driver's seat. 
Um, no ballistic protection, nothing. Uh, if you mounted a gun on the back, you know, they had a, um, basically a mount that you would put in the, uh, the back and, you know, you could then mount a machine gun onto this thing. Uh, those were awful. And in fact, they would crack the cross member and pull up and distort. And if you put a 50 caliber on it, like the Rat Patrol did, um, if you fired it sideways, it would tip the Jeep over, actually. The recoil would actually tip a Jeep over. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a good combat vehicle. It couldn't haul very much. I mean, if you had two guys in it with their gear, uh, you were probably at the, at the max load right there. Um, even when the SAS used them, they would put two guys in it. Because if you put a weapon on it and you had three guys... Uh, you couldn't carry any ammo or anything. You couldn't carry even the, the basic combat gear that you were expected to have. I know this because I was a crew member on an M151 that was equipped with a tow missile, and we used to have to drag a little trailer behind it, and we had a platoon of, of four of these things. And basically, you had your extra missiles and some other stuff uh, in this little trailer that you towed behind it. I mean, you're not going to fight enemy tanks with something like that. And they were slow. And they had no protection. And, you know, Jeeps are easy to get stuck. Even my current Wrangler, I got that stuck last year. You know, they're not they're not the greatest cross-country vehicles. Now, they're incredibly fun to drive on, like, little trails and things and all that. They're, they're fun to drive. But they were never a great combat vehicle. And the only reason they used them in these, these vast numbers was because they were cheap, they were chintzy, they were cheap, and they could crank them out. And you could, rather than using the excellent Dodge Power Wagons, which were a lot more useful, um, for every three Power Wagons, you could probably ship over five Jeeps. So they kept, you know, Jeeps kept showing up, kind of like the Sherman tank. They could have produced a better tank, but it would have been bigger, and they could, have, in the end, produce more Shermans and ship more Shermans overseas. So they, that was the tank they stuck with. So the, the Jeep has, has always been the most overrated and, and really a, a terrible vehicle. And, and the, the equivalents in other armies were the same way. The, the, the little Volkswagen Kubelwagen thing was, was half useless. The Russians had a small thing that looked like a Jeep. Um, I think even the Japanese had one. I mean... They were they were great little administrative vehicles, and they could do little chores in the rear area. But you know you couldn't if you put those things near the front line, they would just get chewed to pieces because they were slow and they they weren't there was no protection. They were slow and they weren't adaptable. Um, they just didn't have the capability to to be able to take on a variety of missions. Um, and and that became very apparent when the Humvee was adopted and, and the last of the Jeeps, the 151, went away. Um, it, how much more capable and how much more adaptable and versatile the, the Humvee was was just amazing. And, you know, they, they actually did turn it into a lot of things it was never designed to do. So, yeah, the World War II Jeep, you know, basically it's a dog. And, uh, you know... I, my Wrangler still has some of the um, some of the weaknesses of the World War II Jeep. Um, even though it's got the ex kind of an extended wheelbase, it's still a little squirrely. It's no fun to drive on the. You can drive it on the highway, 
but it's not really a lot of fun. Uh, and it's the same same problem is you put two people in there there's stuff in there to go camping or do anything and you you filled that thing up I mean there's no extra space um, you can really only haul two people the driver and somebody else because that little flip down roller seat in the back of the Wrangler um, would be a torture device if somebody had to ride in it for any period of time so yeah so even the even the newer you know the two-door Wranglers have that same some of the same limitations and they've tried to address that over the years by making them longer now i think i don't even know if they make the two-door wrangler anymore i suppose they do but now that you know they have the four-door ones which which are really kind of more suv like so there you go um okay next question do you still watch in range tv and the, an the answer is no about two and a half three years ago whatever it was when the when when the ian guy basically left in range um i i had no i really have not watched i've tried to give the try to give them a break but you know i find the other guy to give him his due so you don't think i'm just crapping on him that guy's had a great idea and that is his quote brutality matches his two gun action matches are really very good concept really an excellent concept and, and they're starting to grow they're starting to catch on um it, it's basically a more tactical version of three gun where they ditch the shotgun because shotguns are stupid so you know that's fine i think that's a that's a great idea um you know the it's really a good match the problem the problem is it's not perfect the problem is they're trying to be the super young dudes and you know like at my age i can't do it I, I mean i can't throw around a kettlebell i'm well no let me put that back i can throw the kettlebell i can do it but the problem is i can't risk the injury because i'm more susceptible to injury now and i recover injuries can have a longer term effect on me so i really can't risk it i mean it's come to the point where i can't risk it so i need to participate in something where i'm not throwing around kettlebells or trying to pick up dummies or pull a drag sled the the physicality they've put in it i understand why they've done that but they also have to understand that they've excluded uh, a bunch of people from that and they're probably okay with it but that's because they're jerks but uh, no can't can't do it so therefore there's there's very little that guy has to say uh, the, the other i don't know any of this business about satanism or any of the rest that i just am going to give him a break and say i don't think that's going on with that and i've never seen any real evidence of that but yeah there's a there's just a i just don't like it so i'm not watching it is there any use for the lowly 22 long rifle well, yes. I mean, it's a great training cartridge. Um, it's also, you know, we just looking at ammo prices. Hey, you know, I just saw the deal for 2,000 rounds of 22 long rifle uh, was 130 bucks. So it's going to become the, you know, kind of the thing of choice. If you need to put away some ammo, that's going to be it. It's a great training round. And uh, there's actually... A, 
I'll, I'll talk a little more about it later. And there's some competitions that use 22 long rifle, both in pistol and rifle. Um, there's also very interesting the NRL 22. That's still kind of an arms race, but it is what it is. So, you know, that's all that's all there too. So, yeah, there is the 22 long rifle is is not forlorn. And while some people may not like it, it's it's a fixture, and it's going to become even more popular. Guarantee it. Okay, well, this is a hard one. What is your dream long-range cartridge? Well, I have to tell you that I don't really shoot extended... I, well, not that I don't really shoot. I don't shoot extended long-range. Um, if I did, um, I, I don't know what I would really use. If I could design a cartridge, I could tell you what it would be. And let's just say that I think the latest, the latest record is I think six thousand yards. So if you're talking about something that would shoot out to say six thousand yards, what would I, what would I use? Well, the conventional wisdom is using they got the four sixteen Barrett and some of these others and their Mondo scopes. Um, if I wanted to equal or go beyond that, I think conceptually. And this is this is going to be a an interesting thing, but I would take the if I could get brass cased 14.5 Soviet machine gun cases, just the empty cases, the primed empty brass, and neck it down to 50 caliber, and put in Woodley um, VLD 50 caliber bullets. They're 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 all solid bronze bullets and then I would have to you know kind of monkey with the uh, I'd have to monkey around with the uh, rifling twist the twist rate to see what would give me the best accuracy and that's probably a route I would go in and I would put some you know there's some great night force scopes probably something like that you know on top uh, probably the gun I would use would be It'd be very hard, but just conceptually, the I think Anzio Ironworks is still out there. They used to produce a 14.5, but if you could get get one of their guns and get it chambered in the 14.5 slash 50 cal um, cartridge, you know those things have about a 48, 50 inch barrel, something like that. It'd be pretty good. They they also make a 14.5 anti-material rifle in the Ukraine. They're probably not experiment uh, <laughs> exporting any of those right now, but uh, you never know. So I'd get an Anzio, or I would get the um, um, Ukrainian rifle, and have it rechambered to the Wildcat. And uh, you'd probably have to get several barrels, and it would take some experimentation to get the right twist twist rate, and you know, then see where you go from there. That that would be to me. That would be the the uh, ideal long-range cartridge. Of course, I'll never do it because I'm not interested in doing it. But that would be it. Okay, this we've kind of talked about a little bit. What have you learned or rediscovered from spending time on your land in regards to firearms? Well, to go back to the 22 long rifle, I found that that is a very useful firearm if you have rural property because there are things like woodchucks and other little varmints uh, raccoons and other things 
that will uh, overwhelm you and create havoc if you don't um, control them. So for pest control and for unwanted animal control, that's a great that's a great uh, set of weapons to have. Um, yeah, that's just a great set of weapons to have. So I learned that. I also learned that uh, most of the things you're going to shoot are fairly close range. So a lever gun with iron sights is still very, very practical and very, very lightweight. Um, you know, 30-30 is a great gun if you need it. Uh, once in a while, now we don't, don't get the wrong idea. I wasn't going to shoot these things, but we had some cattle get onto our place and you know to shoot them off I, I took my 3030 with me because I'm not gonna get charged and stomped uh, now these cattle were very very placid and they weren't they weren't a threat but you never know you just never know I don't know these animals you know these these are somebody else's cattle so in in herding them off I, I had my 3030 with me because if one of them charges me I'm gonna put it down that's just the way it goes my land my rules um, so you do need something powerful, but you're going to be using it at very close range. Um, you know, uh, it's nice having a 5.56 gun, and I find that my favorite rifle for up there is a retro AR with the uh, cheapy scope on it. You know, the three the three power scope. It's it's a they're lightweight. They've got firepower you know 20 30 or 30 round magazines and they're 556 and you get just enough magnification so um, you can deal with something you know if you see a bobcat or you see a um, there are some raccoons up there that are pretty large 30 40 pounds you don't really need a 556 for them but you know it's nice or if you had any two-legged problems that's a very very nice rifle to have so um, you could use an M4 type gun in that situation. Also, uh, I just like the uh, I just like the retro AR because it just seems to seems to fit. So I like that very much. Um, for handguns, I've used both 22, but I really do prefer a centerfire handgun. Um, and my favorite, as I've said before, is still the. Uh, um, Brazilian Navy 1917 with 45 auto rim. That's just enough power, just enough range, very accurate, good gun. So that's a that's a really nice fire gun to use. Um, I don't really care for semi-automatics. I, I mean, a high capacity 9mm really doesn't get me anything. Um, you know, um, a 45 automatic doesn't really get me anything. They're fun to shoot. But um, I really don't like picking up the brass, so that's the other beauty of revolvers. You know, the, uh, the if your back has got some problems, um, you know, a revolver is a lot easier on it. So that's those are kind of the things that uh, that I'm after there. And uh, I do like one of the guns I like to carry around is a stainless steel uh, Smith and Wesson 44 Special. Because, hey, stainless steel is stainless steel. And if you get all sweaty out there, 
um, you know it's a lot easier to clean and there's no real problems with the finish or anything I'd much rather carry that than I would say my model 14 uh, target masterpiece so uh, which is a Smith & Wesson that I was talking about earlier so you know that that uh, stainless steel is nice and basically most of the manufacturers now make stainless steel for a variety of reasons the biggest one I think is it's uh, it takes them out of the finish business and all the chemicals they need and and all that and all they have to do is just kind of uh, shine the thing and and there it goes um, related to that I, I understand that for the people who have the new pythons and I'm assuming other stainless steel guns um, one of the one of the big complaints is well you know they just don't look as good as nickel I understand that the, you know there are places now that are offering some uh, polishing services where they can polish your stainless steel firearm so that it, it really does look like nickel you know it really has that that deep shine to it um, some people may like that some people may not I, I personally don't need it and I don't think I'd really want it unless it was a if I had a new Python that I wanted as, as kind of a just to make it luxurious uh, I would consider it then but on a working gun I, I prefer the uh, a kind of the brushed more of a brushed finish so the regular stainless steel as it comes from the factory is uh, is fine by me so anyway um, that is it for this edition of old school guns you can always email questions to kbmakel at aol.com or you can leave them on podbean in the comments section and i promise i'll get to them um, but for now this is old school guns out <laughs>